Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today, we're going to have study number two, of I have given you an example. And we're going to read from John 13, beginning in verse 10. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happier ye if ye do them. And I'll stop reading there. Now, uh, we're primarily looking at verse 15 and this statement that Christ made, for I have given you an example so we're we're not really digging into the foot washing or anything like that but we're looking at the example of Christ's life his ministry and his death went all the way to the cross and even his resurrection we'll see that the believers the the elect people of God that are called upon to follow the example of Christ's suffering and death, when Jesus says, take up your cross, that's death. The people of God that are called upon to follow that example of suffering and death will also follow the example of resurrection. You know, well, it's just been commonly thought, I think, amongst the people of God that when you're saved, you're a son of God. You you become a son of God. And yet, according to the Bible, and, and it is true, we do become sons of God when we become saved, but there's another aspect of being a son of God. There's an official declaring of it. There's a, there's a point when God declares of all those that he saved, these are my sons. And we can know that because when we turn over to Romans chapter 8, it says in verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the firstborn 
of many brethren. And we know that when the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn or the the only beloved Son of God, that it's really focusing on Christ's resurrection from the dead. That's the manner, the only possible manner, that Christ could be the Son. He has no beginning point. Uh, he's eternal God from eternity past. So, uh, you know, when when we think of sons, we think of one who is begotten of us. And that's how it is in the world. That's why so many Muslims and 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 a good number of others have difficulty understanding Jesus is God because he's the son. And, and they have stuck in their minds that to be a son, you must be begotten. And to be begotten, you have to have a beginning. And it's the one who begot you that they would see as God. So they see, yes, the father is God because he begat the son. But really, they're misunderstanding their error is not understanding what God means when he is referring to the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as my beloved son, my son. And the Bible does define what God means Uh, In a couple of places, in Colossians chapter 1, it says in verse 17, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So there it is. When Romans 8.29 says he is the firstborn of many brethren, it's without any doubt referring to Jesus being the firstborn from the dead. That is, he resurrected and he rose from the dead. And the way that the Bible, that God is looking at the whole process of Christ dying and resurrecting from the dead, is that when he died, what is death? Annihilation. It's a cessation of being. You ceased to exist is death. So Christ died for the sins of his people at the foundation of the world, and then he rose from the dead, he returned to life. He, his soul was restored somehow. I don't know how. And, and I don't think, uh, we should even delve into that area. How could we ever understand it? But the way God looks at the coming up from the dead regarding the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself, is that it's as a birth. It is as he is a new creature. And, and so he becomes a son. And, and the father raised him from the dead 
Therefore, the, that act of raising Christ from the dead is as begatting, and, and so the Father begats the Son. As Romans chapter 1 tells us, that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God through or by the resurrection of the dead. It, it's that process. He's the first born. It says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. There it is again. The first begotten of the dead, but he's the firstborn of many brethren. And so the, the people of God, the elect, those that are saved, and, and they experience the resurrection of the soul, um, at the moment of salvation, but in God's program of things, He reserves a final resurrection, the resurrection of their body, for, for the very end of everything for this earth, the conclusion of the whole salvation program. And that will be the time when the elect are given new resurrected bodies. We're, we're aware of that. But we've always, at least I have, had in mind or, or looked at it, at this whole thing or considered it as it, it, it's just something that's going to happen. That is, the saved people, when the time comes, then it's all over and God just immediately equips them with new resurrected bodies. We, we've sort of looked at resurrection of the dead as, um, a formality. It, it, it's just certain. It, it's definite. It's, uh, the Lord has to do it because he saved us. And yet we're seeing with the example of Christ, and it's an example that the body of Christ, the, the whole company of the elect will follow is that resurrection is not a simple matter. First, you must suffer. You must die. And that uh, prepares you. It, it sort of positions you to enter into the proper place where then you can be resurrected. And, and so the example of Christ, as we saw in our last study, was he ministered for three and a half years. During his time of ministry, he healed many people. Finally, he was betrayed by Judas and, and by Israel itself, turned over into the hands of, uh, the world, Rome, uh, the, had nothing to do with, with, um, the uh, outward representation of God's kingdom, Israel, except they were ruling over Israel at that time. And then they suffered, or Christ suffered, and died in the streets of Jerusalem, and he was crucified. And then we know that he rose from the dead. 
Well, we, we see the pattern as God speaks of the two witnesses that will witness for 1260 days, which is three and a half years. And they're also betrayed. Isn't it interesting? I always wondered about this. How God refers to Satan as the son of perdition. For instance, we, we read in Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter two, in verse three, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we know that's Satan who enters into the churches and congregations and rules during the little season of the Great Tribulation, at the end of the church age. But what's interesting is that Satan there is called the man of sin, the son of perdition. Yet, remember what Jesus said in John 17, in verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So, Jesus also, he ministered for three and a half years. The two witnesses minister for three and a half years. And then there's betrayal. And it is Judas who betrays him. And what does the Bible tell us about Judas? He was filled or infilled with the spirit of Satan. Satan overtook the apostle Judas and then turned against Christ and he's the one who brought the authorities he's the one who sold him uh, to them and, and 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 it was Judas who started everything in motion concerning Christ's suffering the the time when he would begin to be whipped and scourged and spit upon and 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 so the son of perdition in the life of Christ at the end of his ministry was instrumental in bringing about the final suffering and death of Christ. Remember, he's our example. The Lord Jesus is our pattern. And so at the end of the two witnesses, three and a half years, who is it that betrays them? Well, it is the son of perdition, the man of sin, as he enters into the corporate body, into the church, just as Satan entered into the apostle Judas, and then through emissaries and and through false um, apostles and deceitful workers, the church body begins to drive out the true believers and 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 the 
suffering of the two witnesses uh, or the elect that identify and relate to the two witnesses as the two witnesses really is the witness of the Bible, the faithful witness of the Bible within the congregations. And so the, the true believers begin to experience suffering in their end stage, the end of their ministry. And so we we just see many parallels, many similarities, the the time of ministry. During Christ's ministry, he healed physically the sick and performed miracles. During the time of the two witnesses' ministry, they healed spiritually the sick, the sin-sick souls, and perform miracles of salvation. And then both are betrayed, Christ by national Israel, and uh, the body of Christ by the New Testament apostate church and congregation, of an apostate Israel, an apostate New Testament church. And also, we we shouldn't miss the similarity of the world's importance or significance at that time as Rome had taken over Israel. And when Satan is loose, he, well, Satan is the ruler of the world. It really was as though the church, the corporate body, became a province of of the kingdom of Satan. And just another uh, foe that he had conquered. And and it came under the umbrella, under the overall rule of Babylon, the world. And and so that's why the, the churches and congregations began to act like the world. They are a part of the world. They They're a part of Satan's kingdom. Well, you know, the, these parallels go on and on. For instance, uh, remember what God said in Hebrews chapter 13. He says in verse 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Then it says, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And uh, there there again, Christ went outside Jerusalem, and he died uh, outside the city without the gate. And the Lord, at the time of the end, calls his people out of the corporate church, and what typifies the corporate church? The city, Jerusalem. The Remember, Galatians tells us there's uh, Jerusalem above, and, and that would be the eternal, invisible church. The elect do not leave that city. And then there's Jerusalem below. And the earthly Jerusalem, that the the corporate churches and congregations of the world identify with. So Christ went out of Jerusalem and suffered without the gate, and God called his people. At one point in the Great Tribulation, he opened the scriptures, 
and revealed the command. And the people of God were commanded to depart out of the midst, to flee Judea, we read in Matthew 24, and to go out. And that's exactly where the people of God went. They all left. The whole body of Christ came out of Jerusalem. Now, one very important reason the body of Christ necessarily had to come out of Jerusalem or come out of the corporate church was to be in the proper location, the proper setting for what would come next. Because Jesus suffered without the gate and the the body of Christ following his example. Likewise, when uh, the Great Tribulation would conclude, would be in the position of out, being outside the corporate church to experience the wrath, the reviling, the suffering that they must experience because, again, you, you know, if you want to be resurrected, and who doesn't, who would not like to live forever in a new resurrected body, in a perfect new creation, and and always have perfect joy and peace and so forth. Everyone desires that. But it, it's not that, you know, God just... Um, snaps his fingers and, and okay, you're resurrected and you're resurrected. But again, there is a process. It is through much tribulation you enter into the kingdom of God. So the process is to go outside the camp and to suffer and to experience the path to follow the things that Jesus experienced. That's why Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. And I think we read this before, but let me read it again. In Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, it says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yes, we all want to know him and the power of his resurrection. You you can hear uh, multitudes of people saying, Yay, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. But notice what it says next. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Whoa, uh, now there would be a, a good number of people that, that, that hesitate or stop and, well, uh, let, let's not get carried away. I want to, to know the power of your resurrection. But as far as suffering and death, um, uh, you know, people are very hesitant to, uh, to desire those kinds of things. It, it, it's not what certainly the um, scores of millions within the churches of the world signed up for. They signed up for 
um, you know, easy believism and and uh, a life where everything's wonderful because God has a wonderful plan for them and and uh, y- you know it it's just all feel good and positive and and you sing rock songs and and yell out praise the Lord every now and then and and say amen and all is good and positive and well of course that's not the true gospel the true gospel of the bible is well here here's a good statement concerning the true gospel also in philippians 1 and verse 29 for unto you it is given in the behalf of christ so this is given and and that means it's a gift and and we know God's whole salvation program is a gift for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God it is given that is the gift is given for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ that is for Christ's sake for uh, he's the reason not only to believe on him now, isn't it interesting that God says that? That there's more given than that. That is given, as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us. It, it definitely is given to believe on him. That's the only way someone can be saved, because if it's not given, if it's just someone's own um, belief, that's not salvation. But God gives belief. He gives faith. So that's a certainty that God does give that to his people. But not only that. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer. And then the Apostle Paul, uh, who God uses as a pattern of the believers... Uh, an example, the same as Christ is our example. Paul, on the other hand, is a, an example that that the believers follow, uh, the things that he does as he follows the Lord. But in verse 30, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. The suffering, the suffering of Christ and the believers will likewise suffer, and it's part of the gift. It's part of the overall package that God has given. He's given the gift of repentance, the gift of faith, the gift of suffering. And we don't normally look at suffering that way. We look at suffering as a very bad thing, a very terrible thing, a negative thing, something we never want uh, to experience we we want no part of we we don't like being a little bit uh discomforted we we don't like uh to experience uh a little affliction just a little we 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 do not like the little setbacks in our day uh, we have no patience we we have no um tolerance for affliction, for suffering. Really, 
human beings and and uh, it, it's true of people of the world but it's also true of God's elect because we're still in the body the body the physical body does not want to suffer and we can understand that the, the body wasn't really created for suffering when God created man he created him good he created the world good what were Adam and Eve suffering in the beginning before sin no no there was no suffering everything was what people would want it to be today it, that's sort of ironic that man wants nothing to do with God he he rebels against him constantly and through his rebellion he suffers and through his initial rebellion he brought suffering upon himself and yet man still maintains that same original desire for peace for for um, joy and 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 uh, for ease and for comfort uh, f- for a lack of struggle um or where everything is good that that's what men want what people want they want the original creation they want their original state and condition and so suffering is not natural to the way god created everything but it is a natural consequence of sin and it, childbirth god the lord told eve right away that that she would she would have difficulty in in birth and adam would have to work um with the sweat of his brow to get anything out of the ground and and, and so right away things began to get hard and difficult and full of trouble and that's how the lord sums up uh man's life in this world his his sinful life that in in the book of job man's days or uh well i'm not going to try and quote it exactly but basically it says that uh man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble and that is our typical lot for all human beings, no one escapes, it, even though uh, sometimes people look at billionaires and they, they look at the super rich and wealthy and famous and, and they think that's uh, how, it's, how it's presented and how they perceive it. These people are not troubled. That's really the attraction of great wealth and and fortune and, and all that popularity and all that. It's the idea these people have somehow made it back to the original point of creation where they're not troubled anymore. They have it good. They have it good. They're not afflicted like the rest of us. They're not going through all these uh, hard things and 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 terrible things like the rest of us because they have it good and no it's not true of anyone it's not true the riches will not satisfy that's why these billionaires have to keep making more billions they they're uh, and and it never satisfies satisfies them or contents them in any way but that's 
all part of the affliction, all part of the result of sin in this world is suffering. So there's always suffering for everyone all throughout, even though we never want it, we we try to run from it. That's why people drink. That's why people do drugs. We we try to escape it. We try uh, to alter our minds and 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 what does the drug or the alcohol bring? Oh, a good, easy feeling, a happy feeling. Again, it it it's an avoidance of suffering. And there it's not surprising when people avoid suffering like the alcoholic, like the drug addict, as soon as they begin to feel um, a, a little trouble in their life, uh, something goes wrong uh, in a relationship, something goes wrong with with a neighbor, they 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 gotta go. they they gotta try and and get away from that negative, awful feeling of suffering, even in the littlest bit. And, you know, it's a natural consequence of sin that the more people try to avoid suffering and they continue to sin in another area, they will suffer more. So the alcoholic and the drug addict, in avoidance, in in escaping the present suffering, sets themselves up, sets themselves up for more suffering when they sober up. Now, now they lost their job. Now they don't have money. Now they can't pay the bills. Now they're out on the street. Or now they lost their wife or husband. And now they're, they're more lonely than ever. And, and it, it just goes on. But the avoidance of suffering leads to greater suffering. Well, as it said in Philippians, and let me read that again in Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That is, where where the Lord speaks of being made conformable to his image, that image includes his death. And, and so the, the people of God are fashioned, they're formed, they're molded into an image conformable to the Son of God. Christ suffered, He died, He rose again. The people of God will likewise, as part of that image, following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, be formed into the like circumstances in order to experience the resurrection. But first, they must suffer, and they must die. And, and, and um, of course, Judgment Day, when God shut the door of heaven, he brought the world into the condition of hell, and that is death. And, and, and so it has set up the, the people of God to identify with these verses, to be made conformable to Christ's death and his suffering. Then it says in verse 11, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. 
and the, by any means, that is the most important thing for any person it, it is to be resurrected because uh, you know we're all in physical bodies that are that are dying we're we're all going to die and and so if we are not resurrected if we do not rise from the dead if we do not come back to life we will be dead forever and ever and ever we will be annihilated and ceased to live so uh, of course that places the greatest amount of importance upon resurrection and we if we had uh sanity if if we were sane people in our right minds we would do everything possible to attain unto the resurrection from the dead because that is the supremely important thing above all things everything else is just temporal everything else is all vanity because of death death finally will turn everything into vanity. That's uh, part of the wisdom that God gave Solomon. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And and so why would we want to concentrate and lift up as uh, the most important things in our life, things of, of this world or, or things that are all a part of the temporal existence that we're experiencing here. When um, clearly eternity is greater than a few short years of time, and, and in order to reach eternity, to enter into eternity, you must be resurrected. And, and therefore, uh, by any means that I might attain unto the resurrection, uh, even even if that means suffering and dying in a conformed image to the Son of God. Now, let's go over to Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And, uh, you know, this actually isn't the study that I wrote out. I I sort of um, have gone in a direction I, I didn't plan for. And... Uh, but let, let's just keep going. We're too far along to go back now. Let's go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So there again, now notice that statement. Looking unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Now why is God telling us to look to Jesus? He's our example. So uh, again, uh, it says here in verse 2 of Hebrews 12, Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Well, the Lord tells us to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and and especially to uh, his time on the cross. He endured that cross, despising the shame, but now he's set down on the right hand of God, which means he resurrected. He died and rose from the dead. And so consider him, lest ye be wearied and faint. And, and also consider, when considering him, that ye, you and me, have not yet resisted unto blood. And it doesn't mean cutting our finger and spilling a little blood. It means we have not spilled our blood to the point of death, because the life is in the blood. We have not died for the sake of the will of God, like Jesus died for the sake of the will of God. Actually, he he died twice, didn't he? He died at the foundation of the world and making payment. Then he entered into the world and and died in a figure in a tableau. He he died to illustrate his first death. Now, just just imagine the incredible obedience it would require for the Lord Jesus to die and to suffer a second time just to provide a demonstration, to show forth, uh, to illustrate so that the world, so that you and, and me and all the people of God could see in the gospel account see it work out in time, in history, the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ and resurrection, and uh, really because um, we're, we're slow of heart to perceive these things, it, it was necessary for all this to happen so we could have a visual, in a sense, we, we could have a record recorded on the pages of the Bible, and we could see what God means by uh, atonement and, and and all these things. And that is tremendous obedience. It, it's just tremendous obedience, it, not only to do it once, uh, to bear sins and and to become sin, and, and to uh, allow yourself to... Submit yourself to the wrath of God and to die for all these ugly sins that are all acts of hostility against yourself. They're all offenses, transgressions against yourself. And yet Christ did it once and died. He experienced death in payment for all those terrible sins, then rose again. And we would say, all right, we've done it if if we were to do that once. But then he entered into the world 
and suffered. He wasn't bearing sin that time, but suffered to just uh, sort of uh, paint a picture. And uh, here's what happened at the foundation of the world. Here's what it means that I was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And, and yet he, he truly suffered when we read the language when he's in the garden, that he was sorrowful unto death. And in an agony, we read in the Gospel of Luke and just, just awful language of suffering that Jesus experienced. And so God is saying, because we are called upon to take up our cross and follow him, so look to him, consider him, but also in consideration, keep in mind that we have not resisted unto blood. We have not died. We, we have not given our life as he gave his life. And now from that um, discussion of the suffering and death and of Christ, and where God tells us to consider him, notice what comes next in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's sort of unusual how God connects chastening to the discussion of Christ's suffering, and yet he does, and then he uh, he, he tells us not to faint when we're chastened because God chastens and scourges every son. And we're also called upon to endure chastening, endure chastisement. If you do not endure, then you're not a son. Actually, it actually makes that statement here in verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, Whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Now that word partaker is interesting. I'm, I'm going to come back to Hebrews 12. But in First Peter, it says in First uh, Peter 4, verse 13, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Well, here, if we are not, in back in Hebrews, if we are not partakers of chastisement, then we're bastards and not sons. We're, we're not sons. Remember Romans 8, verse 29, he's the firstborn of many brethren. How did Jesus get to be the Son of God through the resurrection of the dead. The firstborn from the dead. He's declared to be the Son of God, Romans tells us 
through the resurrection from the dead. We are the many brethren. And, and so Christ went through the process, death, resurrection, declaration. Behold, my beloved son, the, the, declared to be the son of God. Well, God's people must identify with him in suffering, be partakers of his suffering. And, and that's why it, it speaks here of uh, being chastened and scourged. And the, the word scourged is the word that, that's used of Jesus when, when he was whipped. Before going to the cross, he was scourged. And the people of God are likewise scourged. That is, they suffer a like suffering. They experience a similar thing as Christ experienced. And this places them again in the proper position. But there is a requirement, a need for them to endure chastisement. Remember Matthew 24 says that the one that endures to the end will be saved. And and so God has set up a program in the day of judgment in which his people will, as it were, take up their cross and follow Christ's suffering, following his example, following his death in a sense, and if they endure through it, if they make it all the way to the end of it, then they will be raised from the dead. And in being raised from the dead, they will be declared sons of God. They have all been chastised at that point. They've all been scourged. They, they've uh, all partaken of Christ's suffering. And now they are equally called sons of God. They are his brethren. He was the firstborn from the dead, and they follow. Well, um, you know, there, there's still a good deal of information for us to uh, look into, and I, I, I think we, we may do one more study on this, uh, because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I... I really was planning on going a different way, um, but sort of got carried away with the idea of the resurrection. You know, when when God did not reveal all the information about May 21, 2011, when he held back partial information, he, he gave us the most important thing, it was Judgment Day, and and um, what that meant, no more salvation, and it was a time of punishing the wicked. But he held back the the spiritual aspect to it, knowing in holding that information back, what would happen to his own people. And he uh, likewise permitted us, I'm not saying it's God's fault, but God's in control of what his people understand, and and because he did not grant us understanding regarding the exact uh, nature of the five months, we thought it was literal. We thought that would be the end of the world. We were mistaken, and that sort of compounded things. And and 
it, it served God's purpose in both cases prior to May 21, uh, when a great earthquake did not occur, and then on October 21, 2011, when the world did not end, these things accomplished God's purpose. I'm, I'm sure of this, that God allowed these things to happen, yes, to set the stage for trying us. That's what we thought all along. This is a great test of faith. At where the gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble is put to the fire, and there's a question of endurance. But more than that, more than that, what the Lord did was to set the stage, or 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 He made um, preparation for the elect to lose everything, almost. To, to lose, um, the church, as the, 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 just as Christ had Israel turn against him, well, the world, the, the church turned against the believers, and, and, uh, the, the world was mocking and, and ridiculing, but also the people of God lost a faithful ministry that, that they had been comforted by for many years. And a faithful man of God was soon taken out of the way. Uh, Mr. Camping through a stroke. And, and then finally through death. And the, the people of God, it seemed, even lost credibility. They, they seemed to have lost everything. God ended his salvation program. And, and all these things, all these things were set up by God to accomplish His final purpose of bringing the body of Christ, the true believers, those that are truly saved, into the day of judgment to make an appearance before the judgment seat of Christ in order that they demonstrate suffering and death unto the point of resurrection. Just as Jesus, remember when Christ, the, the time came that he was to be taken and, and they went into the garden and, and, um, at first there was initial resistance and Peter cut off the servant, the high priest's, uh, servant's ear and, uh, yet they, then they ran, they scattered, they fled. And the Lord Jesus went alone, forsaken by the disciples, forsaken by Israel, forsaken by the world. He had no one with him. You know, he was a solitary figure. He was isolated. And we can, we can see the loneliness of the Lord Jesus Christ as he uh, enters into that final stage and he is suffering greatly throughout. Uh, it says in Hebrews, in Hebrews 5, verse 8, though he were a son, that is already declared to be a son, he had already risen from the dead, yet learned he obedience 
by the things which he suffered. And I think that's what God has done. Actually, as I said, I'm sure of it, that God has set up all these circumstances and events in order to teach his people obedience in like manner as Christ learned obedience we are going to be instructed in obedience that we will learn as we experience these things that that God uh, has given to us to suffer for Christ's sake. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.